Hey everybody, Dan Schinder here. And Steven Schinder here. On Yes Shift, a father-son podcast where we talk about Yes, Yes members and people who've worked with Yes members. Yeah, father-son team. He's the father, I'm the son. It's the other way around, but oh, you're, you're close. <laughs> I always forget that. That's right. And we're thrilled to have with us our guest. We're big fans of Dave Kersner, who's done has a great body of work and has worked with so many different people. Dave, welcome, and thanks for taking time to join us and let us talk about not only your new album, but your career and some other musical influences and things. Thanks. For a second, I thought you said I had a great body. I thought, that's <laughs> right Well, stand set. up and back up a little bit. We'll, let the, we'll let the fans rate it. You <laughs> got a great body. Um, <laughs> We only have guests that have great bodies. Yeah, you know, of musical work. Progressive rock, you got to be fit. That, that's um, right. For all the chicks that show up at Prague shows. Oh my god! Actually, uh, my girlfriend gave me a hard time because uh, I'm her gym buddy, and I said I I can't go today. I have an interview, and she's like, uh huh. I'm like, yeah. This is excuses. That's so funny. I remember back in the day when there were almost no girls at a Rush show or a Yes show or a Genesis show. I, I, I remember back that far when that was yeah. the case. Now it's a whole different thing. I've, we, I've seen a, a, grand, a nephew who would be my, my dad, my parents' grandchild at a Yes show with all of us and stuff over the years. So, yeah. 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 Cool. So let's start with this. Where did you start in music, and what were some of your first influences, Dave? Well, I started uh, playing piano when I was like, I don't know, seven, and was that turned into, I mean, I was like taking lessons and everything, but I didn't really like the lessons. I liked just writing my own songs and making up my own. So I eventually got... Typical seven-year-old, by the way. <laughs> well, I think by the time I was 11 or 12, this is how I felt. You know, yeah. I'd sort of taken lessons and, you know, learned enough to be able to play, but wanted to do my own thing. So I bought a synthesizer at Radio Shack. Nice. Oh, it was very cool. I still have one. It's not the same one, but um, and put together a band in my garage and everything. And so that was when I was 12 and 13. So <clears throat> that kind of started it. Uh, my early influences musically were bands like Genesis. Yes, of course. Uh, many others. Um, I mean, even bands like Sticks, Kansas, Boston, you know, because in the U.S. Uh, yeah. That's also pretty big around that time, early 80s. And Rush. Oh, you're talking about Rush. Rush Signals, which is one of my favorites. Mm. Um <clears throat> was a big influence and then um yeah from there just kind of kept with it bought yeah. more synthesizers <laughs> <laughs> that's right <clears throat> steve's very familiar with your um 50th anniversary uh production that you put together uh the yes tribute album titled yesterday and today, so I'm going to hand it to Steve. I know he's got some <clears throat> questions about that. And you've got just a great, not only a great body, but a great body of musicians that participated <laughs> in that. And we'll All dig into that time. in a moment. <laughs> yeah, so I actually have a funny story about uh, when I listened to this. It was back when 
I was working as the sign spinner. And so I would listen to music to help the shift pass by. And so this made for a good listen during that shift. Hey, yes, shift. What do you know? Um, but yeah, you were able to get um, a wide variety of guests. Like you got yes members like John Davison, Jeff Downs, Tony Kay, Billy Sherwood, Jay Shellen, and you even had Tom Brisson on there. And also people like Steve Hackett and uh, just, just like lots of people. So what was it like getting all these different people from within and outside of yes? And how did the song selection process for that go? Well, I did that. I co-produced that with Fernando Perdomo, who is a guitar player who plays with me and my solo band, a lot of projects, and he works with a lot of people. So we're both big Yes fans, and um, we play on Cruise to the Edge, which was uh, a cruise originally hosted by Yes. Um, wasn't this past year, but originally, right. you know, we're on every cruise, and Cruise to the Edge, close to the edge. So it's a festival on a boat, and. Um, through that, uh, I made friends with Jeff Downs, who was a big uh, hero of mine uh, growing up. Uh, but before that, I, I, I maybe I met John Davison through Cruise to the Edge as well. But I've known Billy Sherwood since going back to the 90s when I used to play with an artist named Kevin Gilbert. Mm. And, um, and I've worked with Billy on a number of different things. Uh, and I'm also in a band that you may know, Arc of Life. It's an offshoot yes. of Yes with yeah. uh, John Peterson, Billy Sherwood, Jimmy Hahn, and Jay Shellen, and me. In fact, I'm the only one in the band who wasn't with Yes at one point, directly. <laughs> but uh, honorary Yes uh, branch. Yeah. I don't know what. But, um, and then Tom Brislin I've known for many years as well. Uh, and, and Steve Hackett I've worked with a number of times already on my solo records, and I played on his um, played on Supper's Ready uh, keyboards on, on his Genesis Revisited too. Yeah. So um, you know, and, and Robert Barry, who I've known for a long time, but never worked with before. Uh, so this was a good opportunity. He, play, he sang on Changes, did a great job. I always thought he would do that. You know, he's sort of in that vein. He was in uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, or the three. It's called Three. Right, uh, right. It's in Palmer and him. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, as far as the song selection, we we just kind of, Fern and I like to have just fun celebrating the music we love. Um, we don't have time to be, like, in tribute bands full time like some people do. But occasionally where we get the chance, because our main thing is writing and producing, you know, our own music or his thing is he works with people every day. I don't do that. But, you know, I, I work with different people and I like to work on mostly original music. But where we get the chance, it's too much fun, you know, to do like, let's say, a one off gig sometimes or uh a tribute album so we've done done a few we've done one for rush there's a genesis one coming we did this um yes we kind of put the pedal to the metal for the yes one because we work with yes's management and i have just a lot of ties to yes and it was like the 50th anniversary we thought all right let's let's get this one done for the 50th anniversary you know yeah. to yeah. celebrate it so uh we pulled together resources we got um some people from who do play with tribute bands like Joe Cass, Johnny Bruins, you know, they were just instant, like, you know, we need someone who can play this part or that part. And you know, like machine Messiah, uh, Nick DiVirgilio right. sang on it. 
with Randy Mustaine, and he was supposed to drum on it, but wow. he wasn't available to drum. And we're like, oh my God, we need a drum track. And we and it was me playing keyboards with Jeff Downs. I love drama. I love Jeff. And uh, Joe stepped in and did it the last minute and like saved the day. Yeah, we had so, Joe on recently, actually, and he mentioned that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's great. And, you know, so yeah. everyone, the spirit of that album is like, we love Yes, and we're kind of celebrating Yes with Yes. Yeah. So with the guys from Yes, at least the people that I'm, I'm friends with. I, I've, I've worked with John Anderson before, but I kind of, I, don't, I try not to get political uh, you know, between the two, I'm sort of, you know, in the other group yeah. faction, whatever, but actually I love Raven Wakeman and just love all those guys. I'm one of those yes fans who doesn't pick. I just like, I like them all. I, yeah. You know, what kind of, that's how that's like us. they're all great. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but in terms of putting the album together and keeping it kind of, you know, um, we just reached out to people who just naturally, uh, natural fit and naturally just like our friends, you know, that we could just say, Hey, you want to play on this? Not a whole big thing to go through managers or, or, or make anything kind of complex or complicated, you know, politically just, just straight up like, Hey, you know what, let's ask Brislin if he wants to do this part, you know, and, and that's how it came together. That's awesome. Uh, You mentioned uh, Steve Hackett and we actually, two coincidences. We had Steve on this morning um, we had uh, Craig Blundell as drummer yesterday, and right. I yeah, so that's fr- yesterday and today. How about that? There you go. <laughs> and I first found out about you when I met Simon Collins back in the Sound of Contact days. So that's what that tie-in is, um, oh. which is interesting. Is there anything, any possibilities with Sound of Contact in the future with you? No, okay. Usually it leave a little room for hope, okay. but uh, there was even something I was hoping we could do for the 10th anniversary, and it's just not possible. Okay. And it's not, you know, it's not for any lack of me wanting to make these things happen, but, you know, I, I, I give up. I just give up. That, that project just was, like, the biggest tease because – I get that because I love it. Yeah, Dimension Oz is such a great album. album. We love what we did, and people seem to love it, you know, and still talk about it today. So it's like, oh, we could only just, but we can't. We just can't. That band is just a non-functioning entity uh, as a group. And and, and it's, you know, I mean, it's a shame. But uh, it is what it is. And, And actually, one of the biggest things for me coming out, especially with this new album, my new album, The Traveler, because I, I'm actually releasing the final songs that I had for Sound of Contact, going back to Dimension On. About half this new album was were songs that almost were going to be Dimension On that we oh. worked on. Oh, wow. And so for me, it's kind of like a, a milestone of like putting, putting it behind me. Yeah, kind of closing uh, the loop on that. Yeah, yeah. like closure. And it's how many years forward? Like eight, right? Well, no. Seven or eight, ten, or almost. Oh, we we did Dimension on in two thousand ten. Oh wow! And, we that that long. wow. and I kind of feel like sometimes when you do that, the songs, if they're not finished and released, they're like in purgatory. Yeah. You know, they're like in like this this like in between, and it's not a good feeling as a songwriter because you sort of feel like. Right. 
they're your babies and you're responsible to kind of like, look, this, I like this song and it was started and everything. And these were my songs that we had worked on. So they were, you know, I, I actually released collaborated songs on with the project I have called In Continuum. So In Continuum has two albums and those two albums have the songs that either I wrote or I wrote with Simon and the other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be on Sound of Contact's second record. But um, The Traveler, my new solo album that just came out, has songs from Dimension Art that if, if Dimension Art was going to be a two CD thing, which it almost was maybe, uh, oh, wow. these would have been on there. But we decided to, um, we left off one song called So Real that ended up on Simon's most recent solo record, but he did a new version of it. So the Sound of Contact version, sadly, will probably never be heard, even though for the 10th anniversary, I would have wanted maybe some of that and some of the, I just, I can't. It's not, it's out of my control. That's the problem. Um, you know, sometimes you probably hear about this, talking to different music artists and bands. Sometimes you have control of your catalog and then sometimes you just, you don't. Right. And or it's people and you have to do things with them and they have to agree and it's like, okay. So, you know, I would have done like 5.1. I would have done everything, but I, I, I have no control over that. It's the only album in my, all the music that I've written that I don't have any control over. I have co-control over Mantra Vega. I have total control over my solo works and and um, more or less, there's a few distribution deals and things I can't do anything I want. But I could do mostly creatively what I want with most of my work except for Dimension Art because, you know, I don't own the masters. I, you know, it's like I just wrote most of the music and the lyrics, but I, I don't. This, I can do covers, which I do, actually. I, I cover my own songs. That's about the best oh, I can Good. Well, maybe in 38 years, some kids being born this year will do the 50th anniversary tribute <laughs> album. You never know. No one yeah, imagined what you did back, right? <laughs> you never know. Uh, let's play some of your new music. I'd like to first pull up The Traveler. This is teaser, a teaser. And then let's talk about how your new album came together and, and the inspiration behind it all. Check this out, folks. Turn it up. Good. What that is a teaser indeed. Who's on <laughs> that track in particular? Well, there's so I have three studio solo albums that I did after uh, Sound of Contact. Um, <clears throat> New World, which came out in 2014, uh, Static, which came out in uh, I think 2017. 2017. Yeah, and then now this. 
I, I used to think I did an album a year, but I, I guess I don't. Um, <laughs> it just feels just, like the it. way time passes, it feels <laughs> like a year apart. But yeah, <laughs> Dog I'm years. not as old as I think I am. No, but uh, you know. So anyway, they're all concept albums, and they're all tied together. So yeah. that particular song, uh, which is called "Here Now Part One," so the teaser is really a lot of this song uh, "Here and Now Part One," just like an edited version. And um, it actually brings in elements of, um, especially the voice speaking elements from New World, and it ties it in. And there's there's some meaning behind it. But um, so you're hearing Heather Finley, Durga McBroom, the late David Longden, yeah. who was a guest on New World and did some speaking parts. Uh, Emily Lynn from uh, the uh, Australian Pink Floyd mm-hmm. does the main um, voiceover. Um, and then um, musically, it's uh, Nick DiVirgilio on drums, who plays drums on most of the record. The other drummer is Marco Miniman. Yeah. Oh, and then Alex Cromarty from uh, Montre Vega is also the third drummer. And me um, uh, on keyboards, Fernando Perdomo on guitar. And it's either Billy Sherwood on bass. I think that is, no. Uh, it's either Billy or Matt Dorsey from Sound of Contact on bass. I'd have to look. Yeah, Steve's actually got the list with the tracks. While Steve looks that up and checks you if he has to, and he will. Uh, uh, yeah, it says, it, yeah, it doesn't list Billy for that track on what I have. So, yeah. Okay. Um, That's weird because I think he is on that. So Matt but Dorsey's on. I'm hearing that part two for sure. I might have. Uh... Or, oh, wait, I think I was looking at the wrong track number. Yeah, I think maybe it is Billy. Um Oh wait, it says Matt and Billy are on. Yeah, they're both. On. Yeah. So on that, okay. yeah, on that song, I um, I had them both play bass, and then I picked the best parts from each. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the bass players going back and forth. That's great. Two completely different axes that they're playing, or similar? No, no, two completely different. Yeah. So That's I mean, they're not completely different. Sorry, uh, Billy's had a little bit more bite. Uh, like a little more squiry. The Spectre? Yeah. You know, and I, I actually like the Rickenbacker. So I think, I, I think, uh, I forget if, oh, no, I think actually uh, Matt was playing a Spectre too. So, but they play a little differently. And I think like, for instance, I think Billy plays with a pick and Matt plays with his fingers. So, oh. but I think, I don't know, but, uh, but either way, that's how it sounded to me was like Billy's parts were the ones that cut through. You don't hear it as much on this uh, version, but there's a here and now part two, which ends the album. And there's some moments that are just uh, very yes, you know, Squire. Nice. Uh, but then, you know, morph back into, I mean, one of the whole things about what I do, and I'm not the only one, a lot of neo prog, modern prog artists do this, but just speaking for my own music, I fused a lot of my influences together in an obvious way, like in a way that's like celebrating the music as opposed to trying to pretend I'm like coming up with something completely original and you've never heard before. It's like, right. no, it, the whole point of it is like taking that, the forefathers of the genre, yes, King Crimson, Genesis, ELP, uh, Pink Floyd, um, and the Beatles, I mean, you know, so many others also that aren't considered prog per se, but whatever. They're like the four fathers, founders of the rock 
the classic yeah. rock, rock genre. And a bit of psychedelia then, <laughs> mixed in with some of those earlier artists you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. and but blended together with new songs that, um, you know, don't try to just be like, we're not trying to be a yes copy or a Genesis copy or anything like that. It's like, well, no, but you'll just hear things. You go, oh, that's very yes. In fact, that's John Davison. You know what I mean? Like that's John Davison, and it's very yes. It's just like, well, why not have him? Um, and, and on in continuum, uh, John Anderson guests. And uh-huh. that, no, is it is it in continuum? Yes, John Anderson guests. And then there's also uh, no, is it? It's a song I wrote with John Anderson that John Davison sings. Yeah, because oh. I know John Davison was on the tracks I listened to. I didn't hear John Anderson on right. I co- there he's on something I think. Um, but but I co-wrote it with John Mm. and then because I was going to do a record with John so right before Dimension on in fact one of the songs Beyond Illumination on um, uh, Dimension on was originally called Don't Leave Me Now and it was a song I was going to do with John Anderson Um, I was going to do this kind of like Vangelis, John Evangelist thing you know we were toying around with him because I had played with him I did a show with him at, at the NAMM show and he wanted to work with me and, and so we sent tracks back and forth but it was just kind of um, hard to pin down like okay let's you know what, what you know and of course you could see when he released that Thousand Hands album what goes on you know like yeah. there's just all sorts of people waiting to see what's going to happen with some yeah. project that started with him so I, I kind of probably was wise to just say, hey, I'm going to release, I'm going to finish this song with Sound Contact, release that. I finished another one, I think it's called All That Is within Continuum. And I think that's the one that he co-wrote, the melody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got John Davison to sing it. I asked, I asked John what he thought, John Anderson. Um, I said, do you want to sing it? And I explained the concept and I said, you know, you know, and he's like, well, he said, no, you you can have someone sing it and then, you know, but we'll be co-writers or whatever. And and, and so he was cool with it. Um, Did he hear then, it, Dave, with, with John Davison on it? I don't After? know. I didn't want to be too weird, you know, like as far as not weird, but like, like, hey, here it is. I got yeah. John. I didn't tell him I was going to get John Davison to sing it, but um, or maybe I did. I forget. But but like. He was cool with just like the idea of like us co-writing it because I told him it was a the, the the character singing is an alien and so I was like all right just let it, do you want to sing this but here's the deal it's a concept album you know and 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 I think with me writing the lyrics and it being part of the concept album he'd prefer someone else singing it whereas if I gave it to him and let him write the lyrics which I mean if he asked I probably would have but it would have been like like how is he going to write to fit my concept yeah so i would have just done it probably just just because like you don't say no to john anderson but um but it made more sense um and you know john davison is a huge fan of john anderson and even though he's in this other you know thing the whole side you know he's still you know has so much appreciation for john anderson and really loved singing that track that's awesome yeah um, and yeah go ahead steve yeah and to your point about the influences um i listened to the other solo albums before this one you know new world and static and uh i think it was crossing the fates reminded me of astral traveler and millennium man reminded me of uh chris squire's lucky seven i think it was or 
or maybe it was silently falling. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, to your point, yeah, there are some of those influences, but it never feels like a copy. Like all of it feels very, like it felt very new to me just listening to each of these albums from start to finish and a new world to actually listen to like during a long walk and sing sides. So it was really great for that sort of thing. Thank you. That's cool. Let's give everyone another sample. This is a time in your mind. Check this out and we'll talk about it. Moving in the dead of night I was searching for a shred of light All the years of learning who we are Baggage heavy when you travel far We live on the edge of a night Another trap, another In the doorway there's a watering eye It sees the truth and all you choose But I don't want to play the whole song, folks. You gotta buy the album. I love that, though. I hear a lot of different influences, and I love the production of it, too. Uh, Nick's drums sound great. Um, of course, you have Durga there and Billy and, and uh, just a great lineup and the fat sound. I love that kind of sound. Me personally, I love when a studio album has a live sound and it breathes and it's not overproduced. And I know that that's subjective, but I think everyone knows what I mean. You know, there's, there's tinsel, there's auditorium, and that sweet spot in the middle is that nice fat live sound, even though it's studio produced, which is cool. Who were the, yeah, who were the biggest influences on that song? On a time in your mind? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I guess Genesis. Yeah. Um, what happened was uh, I recently purchased Tony Banks keyboards from the. Oh, the wow. oh yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah. Literally and, uh, the keyboards. Yeah. yeah. Unlike Rick Wakeman's, which were being sold for like thousands and thousands of dollars on <laughs> Reverb. Which, you know, it's like $15,000 for a mini mode. I mean, if I had tons of money, actually, I would have bought that. But I don't have uh, dispensable cash like that. But uh, for a very reasonable price, uh, I was offered from, from Tony and Mike the equipment from their studio. Because I've done some work with them, and I've helped them a lot over the years. I, I have a, a software company called IK Multimedia that I'm a partner with, and we make plugins and and so they've, they've, they're very grateful. They used that. Tony used it live uh, for the last Genesis tour. And Jeff Downs uses it. And a lot of the – John Anderson uses it. I mean, a lot of the people use it. Um, so I think some of the people I've met is through that as well. So it's Cruise the Edge. And, you know, you talk about, like, how did you get all these people? It's like, ah, I've been in the industry for a long time. And yeah. you start to meet people doing one way or another all these different things. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> I – kind of felt the, with the combination, I guess, of um, having 
half the album be songs that were kind of earmarked for Sound of Contact, which had Phil Collins' son, was already naturally a little bit leaning towards Genesis. And buying Tony's keyboards and wanting to use them, I kind of felt like, and Genesis wrapping it up and everything, I thought, without because we are doing a Genesis tribute album that's very similar to the 50th anniversary to Yes. Fernando and I are doing that. But that's a tribute album, covers doing their songs, and, and a whole bunch of different artists, not just me. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, uh, I kind of made it a little bit like, like an homage, like a tip of the hat to Tony Banks and Genesis. So there's certain Easter eggs in the lyrics and music, ARP solos. And, you know, so this particular song has a lot of Prophet 10, his Prophet 10, oh, uh, nice. 70 and, and kind of like an Abacab, a Duke yeah. Abacab production style, which was very fat actually with the drums. Yeah. And, and one of my favorite drums for Yes, even though I love, I mean, it doesn't get any better than Close to the Edge with Bill Bruford, but uh, one of my favorite sounds is uh, the drums from Drama. Yeah. Which are, were Hugh Padgham, recorded oh. by Hugh Padgham, who also did Abacab. Yeah. And, uh, so, Can I comment on that real quick, Dave? Oh, yeah. Uh, something I always talk about when, when on this show the discussion goes to yeah. – <laughs> that bridge. Steve knows exactly where I'm going with this. If you listen to the soundscape of Tormato versus drama, it sounds like a 20 year gap in technology, <laughs> the fat ass sound of drama. And then you've got this little Walkman sound of Tormato. And I love the music on Tormato. I love it. I play to it so much, but the the production is like, from one planet to another, wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's part of the allure of drama, I think. I like drama, too. I'm sorry, I like uh, Tomato as well. Uh, but the production quality on that record is really poor, whereas Going for the One is actually great. Yeah, One of the right. best Modern Yes records. But, uh, yeah, Tomato, they just kind of, you know, I don't know. Uh, but uh, drama sounds great. And, uh, you know, of course, you got Trevor Horn, who ended up being a great producer. Yeah. And even though he didn't, I don't think he produced that, but, uh, but you know, he was in the band. Right. And, uh, and then Hugh Padgham and, and everybody involved. That, that record, and of course, Jeff, um, is one of my favorite Yes records, as is 90125. Even though I'm a, I'm, I'm a Yes classic, I'm a classic guy. guy. You know what I mean? It's not that I'm, you know, like, uh, I, my favorite Yes record is probably Close to the Edge. And then nice. Fragile. And I would like Tales, but I think it's got some issues. You know, it's mm. the ancient, the guitar is out of tune. There's things you, to it. You've been speaking with Rick Wakeman. <laughs> I love Rick Wakeman. No, Rick what Rick. I mean is he has the same exact sentiment. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it could have been really good and has some beautiful moments on it. Yes, absolutely. Um, but... Uh, and the cover is amazing, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of things that are great about it. I mean, I, and that's being picky as far as albums go. It's still one of my favorites, Relayer, uh, Going for the One. So, I mean, those those are, that's classic yes to me. But um, up there is our drama and 90125. After that, there's hit and miss things that I like or whatever. But but 90125 is a brilliant record and it's very different, but it's it's just a great record. Less of a yes Type it's a blend of you know Trevor the Trevors and right. uh, in terms of production and everything, but just really unique and uh, drama like we're saying it's just you know it's um, 
this is a cool sounding record, more aggressive. You know, yeah. Steve Howe record is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was great live too. I sat in the eighth row in the round at the forum and it was just mind blowing. You know, there's a point where you see someone play and you just get so inspired. You can't wait to get home and play. And then if you, if it goes over that, you just want to go home and burn all your shit. That's how I felt. I wanted to just go home and burn everything. It was so good. Oh, I've ever been to. I've never said this. I don't think I've told anybody this, strangely enough. But it's weird because every almost every show I go to, I want to go home and work on music. And since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, like I go and like half of me wants to leave and go work on music and, and the other half wants to stay and enjoy it. But I'm like immediately inspired. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to go on stage and I want to present new music. That one just hit me really hard live because – there was this new, who are these two guys from this new wave poppy band and, you know, being yeah. a classic guy since Fragile, you know, all of that. And they way over delivered, just way over delivered. They did lucky such a great job that. translating it live. And that. what's that? You're lucky you saw that. I did see 90125 tour and that was great. Yeah. Uh, I never saw the drama tour. I was too young. Um, but I bought the album. Loved it, and I think I bought it after I bought Asia, which I also loved the first Asia. Record. Oh, yeah, um, and then I went backwards, and then you know, um, yeah, yeah and, I, and I had like you know, when I was a kid, so I had like that yes, classics album, yes, uh, what was that album that had like the cool Roger Dean? Well, they're all cool, uh, what, what, <laughs> yeah, was what, it was it just um, classic yes, the one with the tower that's kind of green like illuminated and neon sort of yeah i had that and so at first and then and then i got drama and then i got everything else you know because that was the age like that's when i was starting to get into that stuff so yeah um and then i remember though before that though a friend of mine bought close to the edge on lp on vinyl and i didn't understand i'm like this only has three songs I'm like, dude, you got ripped off, man. Like, <laughs> I didn't understand. Ripped off. Close to the edge. What a rip off. Three songs. That's... I just, I, I wasn't fully into like prog yet. I was, it must have been like 13, 12, 13. And I was just like, I just, I was like three songs. That's not an album. I'm like, I don't know. What, what, it's like, so probably. funny. The production of that, there is no other album I can think of by anybody where the production, it sounds kind of like close to the edge. No, there's nothing you can say that about. The way all the instruments sounded, the way the voices sounded, the way it was mastered, every little detail, it's on its own. It, it really is. It's just so different. It's yeah. amazing. It's kind of one of the uh, bars for me. Yeah. Um, I reached it, but I haven't really tried. I, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a guy named Jeremy Stacy, who's one of the drummers, one of the many drummers of King Crimson. And we've talked about his end, all this stuff too. And he loves Bruford. And of course, Bruford was in King Crimson, but not at the same time. Yeah. And talking about how great that album sounds and the talking about the studio that they recorded in ad vision. And um, Jeremy actually has some of the channel strips from Mad Vision, oh. which is very, very rare. Wow. But I have a feeling that that's part of it to some extent. 
uh, very open sounding. So I have a few mic pre's that are similar to it. And I'm trying, I'm thinking about like, how can I get some of that element to record drums? But um, there's just so much to it. And I think, you know, Bill Bruford, I mean, especially at that time, it was just um, nothing like it. Nothing ever will be. You know, yeah. he's just um, cuts through the yeah. mix. Like, you know, and he did on Fragile too. But like on that album, it was, it was more clear. Uh, just every, you hear everything, yeah. and, uh, and and the way that they did things, uh, where you know probably out of most bands, most rock bands, you hear the bass feature more. Maybe Rush also because they were a trio. Right. With Rush and 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 yes, you know, with Chris Squire and Gailey. And, and of course they were playing Rickenbackers and those cuts through and they were running them through like fuzz boxes and amps and things that were distorting. Allegedly. But the arrangements, <laughs> like I was thinking about like, let's say roundabout, which is fragile, but uh, how smart and weird it was that they were doing it on acoustic guitar Yeah, and left all this room for you, you to hear the bass and all its glory. Yeah. And so, you know, that era of yes, is just fascinating to me from a production standpoint and an arrangement standpoint. But, you know, I, I think that I, you know, when I work on my music, especially like original songs, I'm just, I'm just writing what comes authentically through me, you know, like what feels, I'm not, I'm not sitting there going, man, I need to write an album like close to it. You know, and, and my <laughs> dreams Maybe that's in there. You know, I'd love to write an album that you would say, you know what, this is the only album I've ever heard that sounds anywhere near. Like, but right. but I don't think that way. I think more in terms of, hey, this song came out and I need to finish this song and this would go well with that song and I have an album. But right. um, and then as I'm doing it, I'm I'm painting with those colors of like, oh yeah, you know, we like for instance, there's a song on my album Static called Reckless. And for some reason, it's kind of a Zeppelin y song, or whatever, but for some reason I felt like it needed a drum break, like a drum solo, which is rare on a solo on a, on a studio album. And so Derek Cintron was a drummer, and he's he's more of a Zeppelin, you know, Neil Peart kind of guy, and doesn't know King Crimson, yes, Bill Bruford as much. And so he was playing something and he was just blowing through the whole thing. Just and it was great. It was impressive. I said, mm. I said, listen. How about speaking with the drums with phrases? Like, and I played him, I think it was Indiscipline from, uh, oh, yeah. from, from Grimston. I said, now listen to this. I was giving him like a little education on it. I said, bum, he's, bum, 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 yeah. you know, it's like phrases. It's you one know? of my favorite things by Bill. Yeah, yeah. It's, right? It's brilliant. And it's yeah. also sometimes it's like the pauses are as important as what you're playing. Like, oh, yeah. So you have context. Right. So I was explaining to him and he had never done that before. And he did a great job. And that's how it is. It just gets like, you know, these little chunks of cool playing. And so th that's a moment where, let's say, I specifically used my what I learned from Bill Bruford and King Crimson of like, no, no, like this works because I've heard it work. And it, it, yeah. it, it's more impactful than just playing impressively fast through the whole thing or whatever. Absolutely. So, but that was just because the song called for that as opposed to 
if like, let's say with Arc of Life, <laughs> maybe, although I'm not the producer, I'm not even the writer and I'm not, you know, so it's, I don't have, that's another project actually that I don't have control over, but it's okay. I just, those are my friends and I'm just their keyboard player. They asked me to join their band. I'm happy to do it. Um, but if I was producing a yes, uh, sorry, a uh, R.E.S. record, but an Arc of Life Arc of record, Life. Me, I would say yes to either. Um, I would love to be like, okay, let's, at least from a production standpoint, go for, you know, close to the edge quality, sonically at least. You know yeah. what I mean? And be like, all right, let's make an effort here because that means maybe we should be using something like the AdVision console or some, you know, something similar and, and do this and maybe think about the um, approach to the album that I think they did. Am I, I'm, I don't know for sure, but in general, I think the way, especially reading, I was reading an article about Stephen Wilson remixing Close to the Edge. Yeah. And someone asked him a very obvious question, which was like, how did you get it to sound just like the original album? And he said, when you pull up the faders, 90% of it just sounds like the album. And that's because back then you took all this processing of all this gear, <laughs> like, like this type of stuff, and you put it right onto the tape. Yeah, and on the track. While the band was sitting there working it out live together, you know, Eddie Offer was in the studio going, getting the sounds, you know, yeah. I have nothing to do here. So I'm going to dial this sound in while they're doing their thing. And all that time together doing that, they just got the magic to the tape. Yeah. Um, so I think if you have the right gear and you think of things in terms of the arrangements and everything, like, okay, and you analyze it from a, it's almost like a, scientific you know just like what is it about this production at least because the songwriting and everything else is another story you don't want to copy it but it's okay to like you know that there's they have these classes called mixed with the masters and all these things where they talk where you know the original engineers um not eddie offered unfortunately but like you know other a few pageants other engineers tumblr algae will break apart i think there was one even with uh, trevor horn or there was a video where he was breaking down uh over Lonely Heart. I found it fascinating. It oh, yeah, we watched that. Right? So yeah. I love that. So if, you know, you were, if you had Eddie Offer, you know, have you have you interviewed him, by the way? I know. haven't. Yeah, we we would love to if yeah. there's a way to get in touch with him. I'd tune out on that. But anyway, if you don't have the original engineer, then you just kind of listen and go, oh, okay. Seems like they're, they're doing this or they're doing that. You know, and you um, you can listen to the five point ones where you have more separation, and so you can to like, dissect isolate. it. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of understand it. The you know what it is sonically about. You're like, oh, you know. And I've learned things from different engineers and producers about which mics they used, and it's like not what you think. It's like a ribbon mic or this mic, right? And so I would love to do a project where I have. I'm starting from scratch. We haven't recorded. Parts. Yeah, I'm always working on albums that I've already started on, or somebody sent me tracks, and I'm like, yeah. oh, let's turn this into an album. But if I had like the budget, that's also a factor. And we just could go into a studio. I don't. AdVision is no longer around, so you don't have that option. Right. But you know, like just do some of the things deliberately with like a, a the bar set here and going. All right, let's let's. And you know, you may not arrive there, but I think having those standards. And having an approach to the production, um, as long as it doesn't make the music sound contrived and the right. songwriting contrived, then 
it, it can be a really good thing because it's like it might it'll have some of the qualities of that, but be something new, which is even better. I love that. What's what's a song of yours that I could pull up? And if it means going back to a time in your mind, I'd love to give Durga McBroom a nod and show off her voice a bit. I love her singing. What's a song I can pull up? Because we didn't get to the chorus when I played that. Should I pull that back up? Well, if you want to go to my Bandcamp page, and if you if you go to sonicelements.bandcamp.com. I wouldn't be you, able to hear because I want to play the video. Oh, so, oh you so want to play the video? Yeah, so that they could hear it and see it. Go now. to my Facebook page. There's uh, Feels Like Home. Although you can't really hear Durga's part. Is that um, I have this? Least, maybe you can actually hear it how, at the end. How about Into the Sun? Yeah, you can play that. Even though that's play. not from the same album, right? Yeah, no, that's from, yeah, play that one. Can we play it? It's still your music, for goodness sake. Play anything you want. Okay. Check it, folks. Desires in motion You took on the risk of the flight Knowing certain danger awaits Ignoring the flaws of your plight another one will make them buy to hear the rest i just love her voice in 2014 i think the second year of drum talk tv dave uh when we were doing the nam show um i got with durga actually to an interview her on drum talk tv to talk about music and working with different drummers and i got her to sing a few bars of great gig in the sky and i just melted <laughs> 
we had yeah. something in common as well because my wife wasn't with me at the show that year but my wife had almost the same hair like pretty much that short from the floor um and then i, I thought as you i thought you were gonna say same oh, hair as you <laughs> no i haven't had hair in a while <laughs> but that's just such a beautiful piece of music um where can people go you mentioned Bandcamp. Uh, Steve's yeah. going to put your YouTube channel in there. Where can they go to really come through your body of work? I mean, if you go to DaveKersner.com, you'll get the hub for everything. Okay. Um, you know, Sonic Elements is the name of the Bandcamp page, and most of the stuff is there. I tend to, um, my new thing, uh, which I encourage other music artists uh, to do if they have control of their catalog, as we were talking before, is uh, put just singles or EPs on the streaming services because they don't pay the artist barely. In fact, Adrian Blue just made a really interesting rant about uh, in, in interviews with uh, Anil Prasad about, um, you know, how basically those streaming services are not a viable business for music artists, right. uh, especially this genre, where you don't get millions and millions of people into Prague. Right. So it's you have to do... Um, you know, just try new things. So one of the things that I'm trying this time is I have an EP of five songs from The Traveler called The Traveler Singles, and it's on everything. So you can listen to that for free on Spotify and Apple Music and, and Pandora and everything. Um, they're abridged uh, in the sense that they're, you know, they're kind of radio edits, uh, four-minute versions of the songs and stuff. Although they work nicely as four-minute versions too, so it's not to say that they're they're less actually. But if you want more, you can buy the album on Bandcamp, or you can buy there's a version on iTunes as well. Uh, but the quality's better on Bandcamp, and of course you can mm. get the seat as well. And I'm going to come out with vinyl. So oh. yeah, those are the places. Yeah, the vinyl's not ready yet, but the the album cover is uh, was done by an artist named Rafal Binsky. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, surreal, like not like Roger Dean, uh, but a top artist like that, you know, who's doing a surreal painting. And that's, you know, I love Roger Dean covers. But this is less uh, fantasy and more like Magritte or, you know, this kind of um, style. And, and Obinsky's paintings uh, sell for thousands of dollars in, or in museums and, and go on, on uh, covers of you know, um, uh, Newsweek and all these things you've seen it probably before. Yeah. And uh, my family's in the art business, so I kind of used that connection finally. I hadn't done it for my music career yet. I was like, all right, it's time to pull in that flag. <laughs> yeah, and just because I always wanted to do it. And so he did a custom painting for this album cover, and it's going to look great on the vinyl, you know, on the 12-inch. So nice. that's coming. I'm curious, were those shorter edits an afterthought or was it like, oh, let me like, as in, let me see what I could do with these to make them that type of thing for the singles? Or when you wrote and recorded, did you kind of have both Jekyll and Hyde versions in your head, if you will? Well, not, yes and no. Um, I mean, for instance, the first song, Another Lifetime, uh, I was originally gonna have it go musically, instrumentally, and then the vocal come in, mm -hmm. and then I cut it earlier, and then I brought it back, 
And then for the singles version, I cut it earlier. So the vocals come in sooner. Got it. Um, in general, but no, otherwise the definitive versions for me are the, the main album versions. Yeah. And what happens um, is a lot of times radio stations will ask for a four minute ver or less version because they don't really want anything more than four minutes. So you do what's called a radio edit. And I'm used to doing that. I mean, I did that for Sound Contact. I did that for pretty, almost every project. Not that I get a lot of radio airplay, but just in case you have it there so that they, there's more of a chance. Even though the first song I ever had played on the radio was on Planet Rock, and it was a 10-minute song. It was Stranded with Durga McBroom and Steve Hackett on it, and Keith Emerson introduced it. And oh, that's wow. why it was... And the reason it was the first song of mine, at least not the first song I ever wrote, but the first song with me singing and first song from my solo stuff was um, because Keith, who was a dear friend of mine and uh, was so kind. And he, he said, look, I'm doing a show and they're asking me to play something modern. And like, uh, he's a guest on their show. And he's like, I, I don't, you know, can I play your, your stuff? And, and I'm like, it's not really ready, but sure. So I gave him an early version of Strand. It was almost ready. But the album wasn't out yet, and they played that. It was a 10-minute song, and I'll never forget it, too, because he told me, and he was just so great. Um, he said, Dave, uh, you, know, you know, I can't imitate him, but like, <laughs> like, um, when, when ELP, uh, like in the beginning, they did the Isle of Wight, and he said they played, I think it was pictures at an exhibition. And he said it was a 10-minute song and they insisted. And then they played it on the radio, even though it was 10 minutes. And he felt like it was a triumph. And he said, this is like that. And I thought, this is like that? I'm like, dude. You know, but it was so, it was such <laughs> a good great. feeling. Like one of your heroes. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, I ha actually have his introduction on YouTube. If you look up Str the song Stranded, you can hear I had it recorded. This is like gold, oh, you know. Wow. Yeah, you hear his actual the way he introduced it. He talks about Durga. Uh, I gotta he, check he, this out. Yeah, yeah, check it out. It's cool. And so anyway, but yeah, the, the, those versions. Um, I you know I feel like sometimes when you cut a song down, you cut out a part that's like uh, kind of needs that bridge or that solo, whatever. It's like yeah. not as good. I feel like these versions are. They work like they don't. You, you, they're concise and they're sort of like, all right, you know what? I enjoy them, even like like in a, in a different way. Like if I was just kind of like casually listening, or if I wanted to play it, even like where you right now you were just playing snippets and stuff. It's not as much like a snippet, but it's sort of like if I was. I think just the other day I was um, doing an audio test of speakers, and I pulled up my music because I know my music, and I thought oh, man, my new album's not on here, you know, on Apple Music or something. It's just you have to buy it. I thought, oh, that's a shame. It'd be good if there was something on there. So if you wanted to just listen to a sampling of the album and get the gist, it's like an abridged yeah, exactly. version of the album, which right. is its own little experience that's, that's kind of nice. And when you hear the changes, they work. It doesn't sound like, oh, what happened? More or less. You mean but like when so they cut out the middle of Roundabout? Yeah, exactly. There's sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's that bad. Um, I don't know. Some people could argue with me about my songs and say, no, no, this is, you know, this is an abomination cutting it down. <laughs> no, but uh, my answer to that is, well, then buy the album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. Full version. There's nothing wrong with buying an album. That's right. That's 
what it should be all about. Yeah, I, I like how throughout your catalog you have some of you have these songs that can get like really heavy, and you know all the drums and the keyboards are like really you know up in front. But you also have like these gentler songs that are also really good, like "Be the Light" on In Continuum or on this new album uh, "For Granted" and "Feels Like Home." It's just like sometimes you kind of need like the softer stuff to balance out the other stuff and i really enjoy that so thank you and that's actually something that yes has always done really well yeah that's a big yes dynamic thing that's an influence on me for sure things like let's say gates of delirium where you have all this chaos and everything and then and then you get this beautiful serene moment with soon you know and, and you have this kind of soaring thing right before it and it's just I don't know, like the, that um, blend has always been a fun thing for me to be like beauty and heaviness. Yeah, you know, yeah, together yeah. it has an impact. You uh, know, you you could put uh, you could put wondrous stories on any Yes album, and it does that. It's like it resolves to this beautiful sort of let you catch your breath a little bit, sort of a thing. And who would have ever thought? without hearing it, you know, for the first time, that Gates of Delirium would actually resolve into what soon is. You know, you just do right. not see that coming at all. And here's this beautiful, the sun is coming up, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Love and awake. Oh, God, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Steve, you want to take us out with the last question? Uh, yeah. So we brought up arc of life in the conversation earlier. And what I was wondering is whether there's anything you can say about the next album and the future of arc of life or any of these other projects you're working on. The, uh, arc of life has a new album that's going to be coming out. Um, I'm not sure exactly when I think later this year though. Uh, and it's already done. I can tell you that. Um, oh, nice. And actually, uh, I need to shoot. Uh, we're shooting a video. <laughs> I need to get my my act together for that. Um, it's it's a, a challenging thing because those kind of bands where people live in different parts of the world, yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 a, it's a challenge. But um, the you know only thing is. Um, the I, I'm not I'm I play keyboards in the band and I don't like I don't write I don't even sing and that's going to change for the third album it was going to change for oh. the second album, but um we just you know timing because uh they're so busy with yes John and Billy that it was just kind of like uh and then the pandemic and everything blah 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 but you know I, I gotta say like I'm totally cool with it um because um, I'm honored to be part of the project. I think I can offer more to the project, to the band, than I do on the first two albums. But um, it's okay for me personally because I have all these other outlets for my music. So it's not like I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. Um, uh, it's more like kind of like, hey, you know, when you guys want, I can contribute songwriting and sing. And, and Billy, who joined me recently because he's on – my new album and then played live with us for Ross Fest and Cruise to the Edge. I was like, you know, we got to get you to sing on the next Dark of Life record. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I think the third one 
we plan to write all together in the same room, which would be very, very cool. Oh, yeah. Um, so this new album, um, you know, I can't say too much about it, but I can tell you that it's very much in the vein of like what you heard on the first record, maybe a bit proggier, actually. Mm. Um, Interesting. But, uh, you know, uh, but, but, you know, kind of very Billy driven, like a lot of his bands. So like a lot, you know, a lot of his vocals, a lot of his songwriting. Uh, so if you're, if you're a fan of Circa and if you're a fan of the first uh, arc record and stuff, I think you'll, you'll like it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's their, it's a yes side project. So, you know, yeah. obviously their priority is yes. And Asia for Billy, you know, and Jeff. Um, and so, and, and John's been writing a lot for yes. So, mm. you know, it's, it's kind of, but uh, that said, I had another band with John uh, that we were going to do. And I don't, we could still maybe do it, but, uh, you know, I have a whole bunch of stuff that I wrote. that's kind of in the yes vein that I don't know if it'll be arc of life either. I wrote it with Fernando Perdomo. So we may put that out as a, we have a project called squids out to sea. So we can either put it out as that, or maybe we'll do another band thing. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, um, fun it's it's cool music and it's, it's it has a lot of vintage you know yes influence more so than anything else i've done That's um great. but um yeah we could just get john to sing on it you know and and um there's another person we work with named robin shell um who sings on stuff and he's got a very high high voice like that oh, as yeah, well I've so heard, we've heard him yeah great he sings on um on the the yesterday and today so, you know, like I'm very, I don't know if it's like my old age or whatever, but like, I'm very easygoing about all that stuff. Like it's, I don't need anything to have now. Like, oh my God, you know, I want to be a yes. And like, well, whatever. I don't even know. You know, like yeah. if it fell in my lap, if Jeff was like handing the mantle, it's like, I can't do this anymore. Dave, <laughs> you want to do it? And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll do it. You know, but like, it's not like I need that to happen or I'm hoping anything like that happens or arc. It's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going with the flow. So there's a new That's album great. coming out. Maybe we'll play live. Maybe we'll be even talked about my solo band and Ark playing a show together, which I think would be great. You know, kill two birds with one stone. We're all there. And we just, you know, play all this music. Um, that'd be great for me because, you know, I loved my, my, my biggest love out of all the tributes and everything is, is doing my own music. I feel like that's what I have. There's a lot of great keyboard players out there who can do prog, but not everybody writes songs and everybody's songs when you do write them are kind of unique to them. So yeah. I feel like that's what I have to offer more than keyboards and, you know, Mellotrons yeah. and that's cool. But like, you know, I can write a song and I want to sing my songs. And if people love those songs, there's a connection and it's a, uh, you know, it's my favorite thing. So everything else is just kind of like fun you know, yeah. like it's like, well, I would love great. to what music should be about. I actually like the guy. Huh? Yeah. I said, that's what music should be about. And that's great that you still feel that way. You know, it's about having fun. And what kind of two things first, what kind of rip in the universe or at least our galaxy would there be if you were in yes with Tony Banks keyboards? <laughs> That's number one. Number I two. Think, uh, out. <laughs> number two, Steve and I may know something about the new Arc of Life album that you don't know. 
Did you see our interview with Billy Sherwood from about a month and a half or two months ago? It was three months ago. Was now. it that long ago? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Billy said when he went and did Cruise to the Edge with you, he commented on what a taskmaster you were. And he appreciated the attention to detail and everything. But he did say he was going to get you back. So maybe he's referring to how the new album's going to go down. <laughs> we got a kick out of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Who knows? But uh, Billy's... Yeah, uh, you, I, I like, don't remember I don't that part at all. So oh, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny the way he said it because he thought, oh, I'm going to Cruise to the Edge and I'm not playing. You know, I don't... It's not going to be too heady. And then he, you put him through this as he described it, such grueling right. prep oh, for that. And it like totally okay. spun his head around as what he expected. Oh, now I understand. Yeah, yeah. so that's oh, what I mean. So, so yeah, now he says he's going to get you back. Oh, of course he is. Yeah. yeah. There was so much in that interview. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay, now I know what you mean as far as playing live. Yeah, I gave him a lot to learn. A lot. And not on purpose, not to, not as a, you know, like a punishment or anything. Right. It's just what the gig calls for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it made his head spin because it was like uh, charts and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, that's what it is. But then, yeah, when I play with uh, Ark, he'll be like, oh, and by the way, we're going to do, um, you know, Awaken. No, I don't know <laughs> what it's going to be, but like, we're going to do this. But uh, I'm fine with that. That's like great. I said, it's fun. It's a challenge. I would love to play. Yes, songs. Like I said, I was never in a tribute band or anything like that. And to have to, um, you know, when I was uh, stayed with Jeff Downs in Wales, he invited me over uh, to, to stay with him. And it was fascinating. And I got to watch him learn Relayer at the time. Oh, wow. And and he was going over and it was so cool because he was, and so it's like he wasn't the original keyboard player. He has to learn this. Right. And he's going, oh, now listen to this part. Tell him that cool part. And like, and it was like, I saw the kid in him, even uh, in him. Yeah. He's a and huge Patrick Moraz. Patrick Moraz. Yeah. Cause Patrick Moraz is great. So, but it was cool to see like a fellow keyboardist, you know, of that caliber, you yeah. know, that uh, geek out whatever. on it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Geek out on it. Kind of go like, Whoa, look at this. And kind of having fun. Like, all right, I'm a musician. I'm going to learn this. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Jeff, you know, because, he, you know, like you said, even going back to when you got to see him with drama, you know, he was thrown into the deep end from like yeah. new the learning Rick Wakeman's parts. Yeah. You know, and even still today, he's up for the challenge and he yeah. does all those things. He's so professional about it. And, you know, when you see people picking and choosing who they like better and sometimes they don't give him enough credit, I think him and also John Davison. It's like, man, these yeah. guys are pros. Yeah. They are pros and, you know, they take it very seriously. And, and um, obviously Rick Wakeman is Rick Wakeman. It's just like yeah. Bill Bruford. Like there's never going to be another Rick Wakeman. He's great. Right. He's Rick Wakeman. You know, and Patrick Moraz is Patrick Moraz, man. Like, but Jeff Downs is Jeff Downs. He yeah. is he's a little different. He's orchestral. He does all these other things when he writes and stuff. But as a keyboard player, I admire him because he just, he'll take it on and he'll learn it and he'll have fun. Yeah, and yeah. it's not just learning the math and the notes, it's the sounds as well, you know, to get those sounds. We talked about 
you know, advertising studios and matching the sounds. Was it a ribbon mic, tube mic, you know, all these different things. He's using modern gear to get these sounds that Patrick had in 1970. You know, there's that whole element too. some over all of them, including Rick Wakeman, over the sounds they choose. Yeah. You know, sometimes the sound, like the sounds on the classic 70s records, the instruments themselves sounded great. So you yeah. could almost do it wrong, but the sounds on Close to the Edge are incredible. They're perfect. They're yeah. just amazing. The popping Maybe of the Hammond B3. You can hear the popping yeah, of the yeah, notes. You can't go wrong with that. You start playing those sounds with like Roland D50s and, you know, Yamahas. And you know, it's like, uh, you yeah. know, cringe. So this, and they're not always trying to. In fact, all those guys, not all those guys, but most of those guys, including Tony, Tony Banks, they're like not as purists about getting recreating the sound but especially if they recreate it's their own thing they're like tony's like i don't i don't care it's not yeah. as precious to me as it is to you guys right. and i'm like yeah but if you're going to replace it it's got to be a sound that's as good and powerful or better and sometimes it's like it just doesn't get any better it's than a hammond three full, or a yeah four, you know, absolutely seven. you know at least subjectively to us but um you know so yeah, I, but anyway, the, the important thing is that it's fun and it remains fun. So to me, that's how I see all of this is kind of like, you know, arc of life. If we get to play live, it'll be fun. If, if it gives me a ton of work, great. It'll push me as a musician. Yeah. And I, I don't have a problem with that. That's awesome. Dave, hang out with us for just a minute after we say goodbye to the audience. Thank you so much for taking your valuable gym time away and spending time with us to geek out on your music, Yes Music, Genesis Music, King Crimson Music, recording, engineering, and all that stuff. We really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great. And thanks, everybody, for following what we do. If you're hearing the audio version, you can actually see us on facebook.com slash yesshift. And if it's the other way around, you can follow us on anchor.fm slash Yes, shift, or you can write us. You can give us love notes, hate mail, whatever. You can give us ideas for shows. We've actually produced a few episodes, right, Steve, based on fan mail. Yeah, we have. Sometimes we get idea suggestions, and for some of them, it sometimes takes a while, but we love hearing ideas and seeing like what we can do with them. So you can write to us at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. Uh, thanks again, Dave. It's great to hear that there's still a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody. 